You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Psalm chapter number three, if we could, let's read verses one through eight together. And uh, again, Psalm chapter number three, we'll read verses one through eight together. Ready? Begin. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awakened, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord, Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. Amen. And let's pray. Our Father, we love you. Thank you for a wonderful day. And uh, we come now to the preaching of your word. And we ask that you would please speak to us and give us exactly what we need. Uh, We all are here this evening with different needs. And we all have different burdens. But we thank you that you are able to meet every need. And you're able to lift every burden. And I pray tonight that you would help us and encourage us and give us uh, what we need for uh, the days ahead. I pray that you'd help us with uh, the battles that we will fight and the situations we will uh, deal with and the decisions that we'll make. I pray that we would stay on course and follow you and live for you and uh, bring honor and glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. In your Bibles, we are in the book of Psalms, Psalm 3. Verse number one, David is uh, writing and the the inscription says this is when he fled from Absalom, his son. Isn't that amazing? You know, you you sometimes you'd think that the enemies would be the people that hate God and the people that are are wicked and the people that are heathen and the people that maybe the the atheist crowd or maybe, uh, you know, the the, the God-hating crowd, but sometimes it's people Uh, that claim to know Christ. Sometimes it's people that maybe at one time were close to you and they will discourage you or they'll attack you or they'll try to to be in the way to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. And here David is dealing with that situation. And he says in verse 1, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? I want you to notice after that phrase, Uh, they are increased that trouble me. There is a punctuation mark that is there and it's not a question mark. What is that punctuation mark after the word me? It's an exclamation point, right? So you would think David is asking the question, Lord, how are they doing this? Or or how is this possible? (laughs) But he's not asking a question. He is making an exclamation, almost in disbelief, saying, I can't believe they're doing this. 
Lord, how is it possible that they are attacking me? And in this case, his own son. His own son didn't just write a mean letter. His own son didn't put a nasty post on Facebook. His own son took the kingdom. His own son tried to kill him. His own son wanted his father dead. And David, in disbelief, he cries out to God. And he says, God, how is this possible? How is it that they are increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. This was a concern that David had. The word increase here in verse number one is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It obviously, it means that the people are many. They are multiplied. How many of you know that numbers get real big when you start multiplying them? We're not talking about addition here. We're talking about multiplication. And there's another meaning for this word. Very interesting. In some cases in the Hebrew, it is the word that literally refers to a group of 10,000. I want to tell you, 10,000 is a lot. You think your two co-workers at work that give you trouble, you think that's a lot. Try having 10,000 people against you. David knew what that was like. He knew what it was like to have an army against him. He knew what it was to be hunted. And he was the one that was on the most wanted list. And David said, they are increased that trouble me. He says, many rise up against me. Verse number two, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Can you imagine how David felt? He sees they've risen up against him. He sees that people are attacking. He sees that people are chasing him and they have already written him off. They've already said, there's no help for David. There's no way he's getting out of this one. We got him right where we want him. I want you to notice, number one, in this psalm, I see the problems, plural. David's got problems. He's got people that have risen up against him. He's got, he's got people that are troubling him. He has got people that have said, there is no hope and there is no help for David. We see the problems, number one. But number two, we see the pause. You say, what do you mean the pause? Well, notice verse number two. Do you see that word at the end of verse 2? It's the word selah. You find this word selah, it's found 71 times in the book of Psalms, and it's found three times in the book of Habakkuk. It is a musical expression. It is the idea in music, you put that word in there, and it is a rest. It's time to pause. It's time to catch your breath. And David has all of these problems and he is recording these by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verses 1 and 2. And he gets to the end of verse 2 and the Holy Spirit says, now put the word Selah in there. Now it's time to pause. Now it's time to rest. I'm not talking about quitting. I'm not talking about in a ball game where you get so frustrated, you say, I quit. I'm talking about in a ball game where Things aren't going well, and the coach will say, time out. We need to regroup. We need to refocus. We need to catch our breath. We need to draw up a plan. We need to figure out what we're going to do to win this game, and the coach will call a timeout. That's what David is saying here. Timeout. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. All these people are risen up against me, and I've got all these problems. But David takes a pause. And in this case, I love what David does. While he is pausing, 
he shifts gears. He's talking about the problems. But then we see in verse number three, he shifts from the problems, he shifts into the gear of praising God. And I want to tell you, that's a great gear to get in. That's a great gear to shift in, to go from the problems, but you pause and you ponder and you think about what God can do. And then you start praising God in advance for what he hasn't done yet, but you know he is able and he can do what he's promised he will do. What happened? How did David shift gears? How did he go from focusing on the problems and the many that had risen up against him? Well, I want you to look at verse 2, and I don't know this for a fact, but I want you to look at verse number 2. He's hearing people talk about him. You ever had somebody talk about you? (laughs) I like that song. Uh, You can talk about me just as much as you please. I'll talk about you down on my knees. Amen. That's the best way to talk about people. Talk to God about them. But David's got people that are talking about him. And they're saying, hey, did you hear about David? He's in trouble. He's outnumbered. He's got no hope. As a matter of fact, let me tell you how bad it is for David. There is no help for him from God. And I wonder if maybe David heard somebody say that, and I wonder if maybe the word help. I wonder if that, that, that triggered something. I wonder if that, that caused it to, to register with David. Help? Oh, I know somebody that can help. I wonder if David thought, you know, I'm going to lift up mine eyes under the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. I don't know if that's what it was, or maybe it was this. They said there is no help for him in God. And I wonder if David heard his enemy, Absalom. And he heard Absalom's men. And he heard those people talking about how there was no help for him in God. And I wonder if David said, wait a second. There is help. There is help in God. There is hope in God. As a matter of fact, with God, all things are possible. As a matter of fact, if God be for me, who can be against me? In verse 1 and 2, he's talking about how many were risen against him. Friend, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how many people are against you. If you've got God on your side, you are in the majority. If you've got God on your side, it's not even a contest. It's not even close. And David has some problems. But then he pauses. And he ponders and he begins to think about what God can do. And perhaps he claims God's promises and he shifts gears. And verse number three, he says, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. By the way, for the rest of this psalm, David never looks back at his problems. For the rest of this psalm, he takes his eyes off of his problems and he gets his eyes on God. And friend, that'd be a good way to go into this week to say, I'm not going to focus on my problems. I'm going to focus on the God who is my help. I'm going to focus on God who is my shield and the God who is my glory and the God who is the lifter up of mine head. That word in verse number three, the word lifter is an interesting word. It's the only place in the whole Bible where you find that word lifter. Now, obviously, we know what it means. It's the person that does the lifting, right? But David says, here's what God does. God takes my head and I'm down and I'm depressed and I'm discouraged and my chin is dragging the floor and I feel like I can't go another day 
And I feel like I can't look up and I feel like I can't get some uh, victory. And, and he says, and God just takes my head and lifts it up. Can I tell you, when God lifts up your head, he's got something for you to see. When God lifts up your head, he wants you to get your eyes off the problems and off the burdens. And he wants you to get your eyes back on him because he is the one that is our shield. He is the one that can lift us up. He is the one that can raise you up. He's the one that can pick you up when you're down. And one of these days, God is going to call you to come up hither at the rapture of the church. I'm thankful for the praise. David, in the book of Psalms, he talks about how that he will lift up his eyes under the hills. He talks about lifting up our heads to see the King of glory and lifting up our soul unto God and lifting up our hands in praise to God. God is the one who can lift up your head. God is the one that can change your life from problems to a life of praise. I see in verse number four, I see David's prayer. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. We see the prayer. I, I talked about it this morning, but I want to remind you that prayer is not just something we talk to others about. That's not prayer. It's like, um, and I don't know what it's like at your workplace, but maybe at your workplace, maybe people like to talk about work, but they don't like to do work. You know, I don't know what it's like at your workplace, but I know this, you can talk about work all you want and you can have meetings about work and you can have uh, lists of work and you can have programs and you can have uh, technology and you can do all this stuff and you can make all the preparations but at the end of the day somebody's got to do the work and the same is true with prayer you can talk about prayer you can plan for prayer you can have a prayer list you can have a prayer page you can have a prayer meeting you can have all those things but at the end of the day God's people need to pray and friend, I want to tell you, that is the power of the church. That's how we're going to see revival. That's how we're going to see people saved. That's how we're going to see God turn this nation around. It's going to come if my people, God says, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We see David prays and he says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he, what? He heard me. I'm glad to know that God hears us. I'm glad to know that God hears you no matter where you are. No matter what you're going through, God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers and he hears our praise. God is a God that hears. Verse number four, he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. You say, what's the holy hill? Well, the holy hill refers to Mount Zion. It refers to Jerusalem. Well, what was in Jerusalem? Jerusalem, that was the temple. Jerusalem, that was the palace. That was the throne room. And David is talking about the fact that when he prays, God hears him and God is seated on his throne. Now, we know that God's throne today is not on earth. One of these days, Jesus is going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years during the millennial reign of Christ. But for right now, his throne is in heaven. And I got good news for you. He can hear from that throne too. And he invites us to come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm glad that God hears on the throne. 
God's not too busy on the throne. There's not too much commotion around the throne. The angels of heaven are praising God, but God hears the prayer that is whispered from his saint, no matter where you are and no matter what you're going through. We see prayer number five. We see David's prayer leads to peace. Isn't it amazing how you can be really struggling and you can be going through a hard time and a difficult time and, and then you pray about it? And nothing changes immediately. It's not like there's a flash of lightning or it's not like the sky turns purple or whatever. It's just you pray and God gives a peace. Isn't it wonderful to know the peace of God that passes all understanding? I can't explain it. I can't tell you how it works that you can pray and God hears that prayer and the Holy Spirit of God gives you a peace in your heart that you just know, hey, I just believe God's going to take care of it. But David experiences peace. Verse number five, I laid me down and slept. I awakened for the Lord sustained me. That word sustain, it means that you can rest upon God. You can lean upon God. God will support you. You can have peace to know that God's going to hold you up. He is literally going to prop you up. Have you ever felt like you couldn't stand? Now, I'm not, hopefully not physically, although maybe you've had times like that. But what do you do when you feel like you just can't make it? You got to lean on something, right? You got to get some support somewhere. Well, friend, I want to tell you, God is the one who sustains us. He's the one that props us. He's the one that gives us the support through our difficult times. We see peace. Verse number six, David goes on to talk about the peace that he has. He says, I will not be afraid of how many? Ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. He says, all those people I was worried about before, many the ones that are multiplied, the ones that are increased, I'm not worried about them anymore because I've got the peace of God. I've got God on my side. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people. The Bible says in Leviticus 26, and I don't know if David remembered this promise, but God promised his people that there would be five that would chase an hundred and an hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Maybe David remembered Deuteronomy 32 where the Bible says, how shall one chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight? Maybe David recalled the account of Gideon where Gideon had 10,000 with him. And he was going against a Midianite army of 135,000. But God said, Gideon, you've got too many. I don't need 10,000. And he had to dwindle it down to 300, right? Just so that God could prove that he was the one that would give the victory. I don't know what, what David was thinking, but he said this, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people. That's peace right there. You see, peace is not the removal of the storm. Peace is not the removal of problems. Peace is resting in God in the middle of the storm. Peace is trusting in God in the middle of the battle that you're going through. David had peace. Number six, we see God's power. Verse seven, arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. We see the power of God. The word arise here, it means to stand up, 
means to show up. It means to come on the scene. And here's what David says, Lord, I need you to show up. I need you to arise. I need you to come on the scene. I need you to make an appearance. And I'm so glad to tell you, friend, tonight that when you need God, he will be there for you. I'm glad that when it's God's time to show up, he's always been on time. He's always showed up. He's always been faithful. He's always been true. He's always kept his promise. We see in verse 7 that God was, was needed to save David. He couldn't save himself. He couldn't get victory himself. But he said, God, you have smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. That is an interesting term. And this is the only place in the Bible where that, that specific term is used. It's kind of like David saying, God, I need you to punch him in the jaw, you know. God, I need you to knock him out. I need you to get in and get in this battle and take over for me. But then he says this. He says, thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Now, that term or that expression is used in Proverbs. Chapter 25, verse 19, it says, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Now, I want to be careful I say this. I, I think I, years ago, I think I offended uh, Melissa Crew. Of course, she works at the dentist. She's a wonderful lady. But I'm not a fan of the dentist. I don't like going to the dentist. I, I, don't, I don't like anything about the experience, you know. Um, now, and when it's over, I like it. I, I will say that. I do like it when it's over. Now, anybody in here, and, I, and some do, anybody just you love going to the dentist? It's just like, it's therapeutic for you. Brother Ben, there's one. Anybody else? Miss Donna, you love, okay, so good. I'll, I'll tell Melissa, I'll say, Melissa, well, you've got some supporters in the church. I won't tell her it's only two, but I'll tell her she's got some, some supporters in the church. But I'll tell you this, if you've ever had a broken tooth, if you've ever had a, a, a tooth that was giving you trouble, that is painful. That is a problem. Well, Proverbs says that if you put your confidence in an unfaithful man, that's going to hurt you like a broken tooth or like a foot that is out of joint. Have you ever had a problem with your foot? You know what's, what's amazing is every step, right? Every step hurts. And every step you think, oh my goodness, I'm not going to make it to where I need to go. If you put confidence in an unfaithful person, it's like you're the one that's got the broken tooth and you're the one that's got the foot out of joint. But here's what David says. He says, my confidence is not in an unfaithful person. He said, my confidence is in God. And so David is almost putting this whole thing in reverse. He's saying, because my confidence is in God, I'm not the one that's going to have the broken tooth. That's going to be those that fight against God. He said, I'm not the one that's going to be in trouble. I'm not the one that's going to be hurting because God's going to show up. He's going to knock them in the cheekbone. He's going to break their teeth. God's going to show up and he is going to be victorious. I'm not suggesting you go home tonight and say, Lord, please break the jaw of my enemy. Lord, please break all their teeth. I'm not saying that, but I think you get the point. When God shows up, God will take care of the enemy. God will take care of those that want to fight against you and those that want to fight against the work of God. God will take care of all of that. You just put your trust in him. He has power. Arise, O Lord, and save me. Verse number eight, David says, salvation 
belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah, there's that word again, to pause and to ponder and to meditate. Salvation, the first word in verse number eight, is the word deliverance. It's the word victory. It has the idea of prosperity or blessing. And I'd like to use the, the word for this outline. I'd like to use the word prosperity. David says, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That means nobody else can give salvation except for him. Because it belongs to him. The Bible says in Acts 4, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Can I tell you this? The fact that you got saved, if you're saved, if you're a born again child of God, it's because God gave you salvation. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. We didn't, we didn't work up enough good, good, good credits, you know, to, 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 to buy salvation. No, no, no. Salvation is a gift. It belongs to God, and he gave it to us, and salvation belongs to God. He's the only one who can save. The where may change. I, I don't, I've not asked this question quite like this before, but I wonder how many people in this room, how many of you got saved in Roanoke Rapids or the surrounding area? You got saved in this area a lot. Okay, you put your hands down. How many of you got saved in another area, another state or another city, another area? Oh, yeah, isn't that great? You know what's wonderful? Is that the where you got saved, that, that can be different. And I'm glad we're not limited to one state or one city or one, one, one country. I'm glad that God can save uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm glad that although the where can change, the when may change. Did you know some got saved in their uh, childhood? Some got saved in their teens. Some got saved in their 20s. How many of you here, you got saved before the age of 13? Let me see your hand. My hand is up. How many got saved as a child before the age of 13? All right, good. Put your hands down. How many of you got saved when you were a teenager? 13 to 20, somewhere in there. Hallelujah. How many of you were uh, over 20? You were in your adult years when you got saved. Isn't that wonderful? The where can change. The when can change. But the who never changes. God's the one that does the saving. It's not a church. It's not a denomination. It's not a baptism. It's not a, a, a good work. It's not a good deed. It's not a check that you write and you pay for salvation. The who never changes. God is the one that does the saving. It belongs to God. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's only by His name. It's only by the Lord that we can be saved. Prosperity. The blessing is that We've been saved. Now, David here, I understand he's talking about being saved from his enemies. He's talking about being saved from Absalom. He's, being, he's talking about being saved from the armies, the multitudes that were chasing him. But he said, God delivered me. God saved me. God rescued me. And friend, I want to tell you, not only can God save your soul from hell, but God can give you victory with whatever you're facing. If God could change your eternal destination, don't you think he can take care of the problem you're facing today? Don't you think he can take care of the financial situation? Don't you think he can take care of the physical? Don't you think he can take care of the relationship? Don't you think that he can change whatever the burden is? Don't you think he can take that and change it? I know he can. 
because salvation, deliverance belongs to him. It says this, thy blessing is upon thy people. The blessing of God is upon his people and that's the way it ought to be, right? That's the way I hope it is for our church. I hope that we can always say God has blessed this church and he has blessed this church. But the Bible tells us that the blessing of God comes when God's people obey. When God's people do it God's way. Friend, I just want to tell you this. You live for God. You serve God. God will take care of you. God will work out all the details. But you get away from God, I want to tell you, you're never, ever going to come to the end of the journey and say, you know, I'm glad I did it my own way. You'll come to the end of your journey and say, I wish I would have done it God's way. The blessing of the Lord, Proverbs says it like this, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. You say, does that mean I'm going to win the lottery? Well, I hope not, because you shouldn't even be playing the lottery. You know, everybody talks about winning, and I'm wondering how you're going to win if you're not playing. Now, I'd love to hear that story. Well, you know, I was walking down the street, I just found this ticket laying on the ground. I'm not talking about winning the lottery. I'm not talking have, about having a bank account that's so huge. I'm not talking about that kind of riches. I'm talking about the riches of God's blessing on your life. I'm talking about going to bed at night and knowing that you're right with God. I'm talking about going to bed at night and saying, I've done my best today to live for Jesus. I've done my best to do what's right. I've tried to tell people about Jesus. I've tried to be a witness. I've tried to be a good husband, tried to be a good wife, a good father, a good mother. I've tried to be a good Christian. I've tried to be a good teenager. I've just tried to live for the Lord. And can I tell you, there is nothing like the blessing of knowing that you're in the center of God's will. We used to sing a song, I don't even know if it's in one of our books, but the song goes something like this. There is no peace, no joy, nor thrill like walking in His will for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Let's live for Christ this week. Let's experience God's blessing. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.